launch this morning, raucous. It's a good word, isn't it, raucous? I don't use that word enough. I'm going to use that word more. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, my name's Thomas. For those of you that don't know me, hello. It's lovely to meet you, and hopefully I'll get to see you at the end of the service over a coffee. This is the part of the service that we're going to open up the Bible together, and this is the penultimate, that means second last, doesn't it, penultimate? Thank you. Penultimate talk in our series, Freedom in Christ. So we're looking at the book of Galatians, and... Uh, that's, that's the name of the series, Freedom in Christ. That's what Paul is passionate about sharing with these churches and putting these churches right in Galatia. This whole thing of grace and works and faith and false teachers, he's strong in his language as we've been journeying through this book. And he wants to paint the picture in as many ways as he can to this church. Um, Bibles, yes, two, min two minutes. Two minutes, we'll get the Bibles. Or actually, let's just do it now. If you want a Bible, stick your hand up and we'll get a Bible to you. And we'd love you to have a Bible at home if you don't have one at home. So, Paul just wants to share with these churches Jesus is all that you need and what freedom truly is. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood was the price paid to give us freedom. An American pastor called Rich Nathan, who's now retired, but a minister for decades in the States, puts it brilliantly. He speaks of two days. We are free because of what Jesus done for us. For us. We're, we are free from two days. We are free from our yesterdays. All the shame, all the mistakes, all the regrets. And we're free from all our tomorrows, the fears, anxieties. Last week we looked at the tail end of chapter 4 and asked the question, whose side are we leaning on? Uh, I'd love you to listen back on that as well. We had a wee bit of a sing-song as well, so that might, that might tempt you to have a, a listen back as well. We're going to open up God's Word now, God's living, breathing Word. I'm really distracted and I want to tell you why. One of my printing papers has a shopping list on it. <laughs> so I've got chopped tomatoes, onion and yellow pepper written over my notes. So I'm kind, of, I'm kind of very close. We're going to open up God's Word now. John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement, says this. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Let's pray before we read God's word. Lord, I pray in a world of distraction that we would be men and women of the book. Would you speak into the specific of our lives? You know everything about us. You know the hidden places. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to go where you want to go. And we wave the white flag of self-sufficiency. We need you. That's why we're here. We love you. That's why we're here. Maybe some of us don't know you. Would you speak, Lord? We choose to posture ourselves in openness. We look to you in our joys and our trials, in our stresses and our successes. Our thoughts, our feelings have it all right now, Holy Spirit. All of us will have very different things going on in our lives, but nothing is too small or too big. And everything is of interest to you, God. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Amen. So we're going to be reading Galatians chapter 5. Um, we're looking at verse 1 to 12. It should be on the screen as well. Hopefully the writing isn't too small. Should be, should be. Let's read. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for the, those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It's given to us because of God's love. And we, I pray, we pray that it speaks into our veins this morning, speaks life into our veins. We'd get our blood pumping and blow through the caverns of our souls this morning. Amen. So last week, as I mentioned, you missed out if you weren't here. We, uh, we had a sing-along sing during the talk. And we went to classic Sunday school tunes. That's what we were doing. And the real reason it hasn't been uploaded is because our sound team are still trying to edit it to get it suitable enough so that people can listen to it on our podcast app. Uh, we're getting there. But we went with the, ended with what I thought was the classic, Whose Side Are You Leaning On? Which went through a couple of classics. Everyone was giving it loudly. And then the last one, nobody knew it. And it was highly embarrassing. But anyway, we sold your body. This morning we're building on last week's participation of a sing-along because we enjoyed it so much. So we're taking a slight detour and some of you will love it. I'm well aware that some of you will hate it, but we're going with it. We're going to do some maths in Bernice Vineyard Church. Yes, you heard right. And there is a purpose to it. We're not just going through school every subject each week. Next week, German. <laughs> Maybe we will, maybe we will. So let's dive straight in. The first one I want to share with you, it's not on the screen. I add six to 11 and I get five. Why is this correct? I add six to 11 and I get five. Why is that correct? Anybody? I flummoxed you. Anyone at all? I add six to 11 and I get five. No. I'll let you all know, or will I leave you hanging? I don't know. What's that? Mice. Mice? Oh, is it mice? It's the tea time. It's the time. Oh. Well done, Tyrone. A wee round of applause to Tyrone. 
you, my friend, get an extra cookie at the end of the service. Next one. In two years, I know... Oh, this, this one's tough. I'm going to say a few times. I had to sit down when I found this one. In two years, I know I'll be twice as old as five years ago, said Tom. How old is Tom? Everyone's like, look, sinking into their chairs. Just get on with it, Thomas. I'll say it one more time. In two years, I know I'll be twice as old as five years ago, said Tom. How old is Tom? Anybody? No. I'll give you the answer. But please don't be working out during my whole talk. How does that actually work? The answer's 12. Anyway, moving swiftly. <laughs> It definitely is 12. We can chat about it later. Why am I testing you with maths questions? Because having read this passage, this letter from Paul, having chewed it over, I feel like he's almost shouting, do the maths, Church of Galatia. The actual phrase, do the maths, means to examine the facts and figures, to reach a conclusion, especially when the answer is very clear. The answer is very clear for Paul here in his writings, and he's going to great lengths to explain it to this church that he loves. There's to be no confusion or working out needed. Examine the facts, church. The answer is clear. Understand that there is nothing that you can do to earn God's favour. Understand that Jesus is all you need. Understand that he loves you no matter what. Understand that you are free. You are no longer slaves. Understand and now go and live in light of it. So taking great inspiration from maps, or if you're a, a music fan, Ed Sheeran albums, we are going with three points this morning. The first being, if you add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. I don't know if I was to go around the room what your favourite movies are, I'm sure we would get lots of different uh, answers. Uh, a lot of my favourite movies have added a completely needless sequel. Anybody got movies like that? But they've added completely needless sequels. I'm going to give you a few examples which I feel are needless sequels. Home Alone, needless sequel. <laughs> the Matrix, needless sequel. I'm seeing nods of heads. I don't get nods of heads at any other time of the movies. Yes, we're all in. <laughs> Top Gun, needless sequel. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Just going to take a minute there. <laughs> Die Hard, needless sequel. I'm throwing it out here. No, I won't actually. <laughs> I'm going to skip over it. Gremlins, needless sequel. Jurassic Park, needless sequels. We just don't need them. Keep to the original. Keep to the original. I'm glad there's no Shawshank Redemption sequel, is all the time I'm saying. Also, releasing of classic songs, when they re-release classic songs and remix them. No, don't do it. Keep to the original. Keep to the original. It's like we lose the original, the true essence of that first moment of genius or inspiration. It gets muddied and muddled, and in some instances we lose the very heart, forget what it was, uh, in our lives perhaps as well, we forget why we were there, what we were doing, where we were going. We can muddy things up. We can add things 
to things in our lives and we realise, what on earth am I doing? Why am I here? These false teachers we see in verse 2 to 6 were coming in to the churches Paul is writing to saying that these converts needed to be circumcised to enter the fullness of what Jesus had for them. It's a symbol for them. It's a theological symbol. Circumcision was to be added to Christ for salvation. And these Gentile converts needed to become Jews first. It represents trying to earn your way to God by obeying the law. Rules and tick boxes. Almost like entry requirements into uni. And this was the whose side are you leaning on argument that Paul is stressing time and time again. Either you're accepted by God because you do as you're told and obey the commands, or you're accepted by God because you placed your faith in Christ. Either you receive Christ by acknowledging you can't save yourself, we spoke about that last week, or you try and obey all the rules and claim you can save yourself. Paul is saying that you can't have it both ways. You either have a religion of law or you have a religion of grace. I was reminded of the song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. Or, He Isn't Found. No middle ground, no blurred lines. It's definitive, it's definite, it's clear as crystal. If you add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. Don't add unnecessary ingredients and commitments. Don't add needless pressures and expectations. Don't remix and jazz up Jesus. Just come to Jesus. In the battles of self, don't shape Jesus how you like him and adapt him into your situations and struggles and circumstances. Let's just exercise faith and lay it all before him. The warts and all. All in. Go big. Go all in with Jesus. And wait on him. Receive his grace. He's not looking for the perfect student to use. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for you and he's looking for me. The not got it together kind of people. That's who he uses time and time again. A surrendered people. A consecrated people. Paul reiterates in verse 6 that all we need is faith. And actually, circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't matter. This doesn't mean we do as we please. The verse just before in verse 5 paints an important picture. Through the Spirit. Those three words. Through the Spirit. A life in the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We have a life of faith and we have a life in the Spirit. He is the potter and we are the clay. I love that image. We are moulded. We're kept safe. We're guided. We're changed. I want to ask us this morning... Where have we lost Jesus? Where have we added the tick boxes, the duty, the routine? Where have we confined them to muscle memory? Funny, Pete mentioned that this morning about his passwords, muscle memory. I felt that was a significant thing. Where have we confined Jesus or where have we shaped Jesus into muscle memory? Sunday morning, church, Wednesday night, life group. Instead of a heart beating, real, living relationship, Holy Spirit filled into my day. Lord, would you speak into this situation? Lord, would you help me with this conversation? Lord, I need you right now. Life is really tough. I'm having a rough day. Holy Spirit, fill me Where have we fixed and fumbled our way through life and said, Jesus is with me while we actually drag everything along with a remix Jesus with little faith needed. When was the last time we prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me up? Fill me up. Because we leak. 
we leap. Perhaps for some of us there's an invitation into a step of surrender. You know, we're passionate about seeing people who know and love Jesus come alive. That is our vision, that we've got a place where people come alive into all he has for us, each and every one of us here. Not only us, but the many in our city, out with these four walls. It started as a little dream in our hearts. We gave our lives for this. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. God spoke, and little old us, in all our weaknesses, it brought our yes. We're not perfect. It's definitely not polished. But in faith, we bring our yes. Where do we need him this morning? Where do we need him? Identify to Christ, you lose Christ. Secondly, what we believe is multiplied out in how we behave. Now, having run a marathon, I like to get that in now and again. It's been a wee while. I like Paul, I like Paul, because he likes his race analogies. If you know his letters, let me rattle through a couple of them. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Hebrews 12, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. And in verse 26, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I wonder if Paul enjoyed a wee 10k after preaching. I wonder if he timed his runs on Strava. I wonder if he had one of the little belts that he had his gels on when he was going a bit longer. I think he was a runner. He had to be. Verse 7 in the passage we read says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Notice the language here from Paul in this uh, reading. It's very deliberate. To run well in the race for Jesus, we don't just believe, but we obey. What we believe and how we behave is connected. You only need to see children during the month of December when they know Santa's coming. <laughs> the month where behaviour levels show marked improvement. <laughs> These churches were doing well initially, but something, someone got in the way. We know them as false teachers that threw the church into confusion. We read in verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It spread. They had abandoned Christ and fallen from grace. You might remember a couple of years ago, our teaching series, there's something in the small that we looked at. And, and Paul is concerned and points them to Jesus and the cross as his teaching, as the focus what we believe is multiplied out in how we behave. Most of the time without even knowing we're doing it. And as I've said, the small plays a big part. Billy Graham once said, we are the Bibles people are reading. What a thought as we leave here. We are the Bibles that people are reading. And folk notice the small. They notice the small encouragement. They notice the small gift, the small prayer. A small act of kindness, a small act of noticing someone, a small hello. They also notice the small look of discontent, a small word of gossip, a small act of excluding someone, a small act of leaving the office just that little bit early when the boss is at a meeting. I remember many moons ago working in the bank 
I was a financial advisor before I became a youth pastor in 2010. And I kept my faith pretty under wraps when I was working in the bank. I had the occasional church chat on Monday morning, what did you get up to at the weekend? And I would share. And I had a great chat actually when I handed in my resignation to become a youth pastor. I was so surprised. My boss said, I can totally see you doing that. And I just had a moment going, what? I'd never really chatted to you about church. I thought I was going into this meeting and she was going to offer me a raise and I would have a bit of a dilemma. Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? But no, I can totally see you doing that. Anyway, I wasn't intending to stay, but you just never know. You never know. But a couple of years into my job, there was a lovely lady called Ruth. She was really quiet. She was great at her job. And she ch- we chatted now and again in between customers. We were locking up the branch one evening and it was just her and I. And as she was leaving, she kind of cornered me. And she asked, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Kind of like that, in my face, but really close, are you a Christian? <laughs> and I was pretty flummoxed, embarrassed, wanting to save face as coolly as possible. I kind of went, yeah, I am, why? <laughs> and she just went, I knew it. I knew it. And I've never seen this lady more alive in her reply. She was like, I knew it. It's like she cracked the Enigma codes or something. She was just like super, super excited. And she smiled and she never spoke about it again. <laughs> I'm not sharing that story to boast at all, but it reiterated to me in that moment, people are watching even if they don't think they are. People see us at our best. People see us at our worst. And I want to encourage us, let's be real in the mix of that. Let's just be real in the mix of that. Not feel unnecessary pressure because of that, but let's be looking and pointing to and relying to Jesus, relying on Jesus, so that's attractive to folk. So that the roofs of this world say, I want some of what he has. What gets him through that really stressful day? How can he come in the next morning? Be bright as a button and raring to go. Or when he's really struggling, how can he keep putting one foot in front of the other? I want what he has. I want to ask us, do people want what we have? They should. We have Jesus. They should. What Bibles are people reading? Are we running a good race? Has someone, something come in on us? Maybe this morning is about just simply asking his spirit to come afresh. Maybe we are on the cusp of some really special and precious God moments if we would but say yes to him in those places. But fear and pressure has gotten the way. Maybe there's a wee reset moment for some of us in these spaces to invite Jesus in fully, to ask the Holy Spirit to grow good fruit in us. And Heather's going to be looking at that next week. So that what we believe and how we behave sees God move in new and unexpected and powerful places to live in freedom, to find the powerful joy of his love and grace. Do we believe it? Are we living it? What do people see? What do we need to bring to God? And then just finally, following Jesus with everything equals battles. Following Jesus with everything equals battles. For Paul... It was the scandal of grace that led to persecution. The people in Galatia, the Judaizers, hated to be told they could only be saved by going to the foot of the cross. It wasn't preaching circumcision, it was the offence of the cross. 
I was reminded of the Hillsong song, Hillsong song, The Scandal of Grace. And I read the words. Do you ever sing a song and you don't realise the words? And you're like, oh, that's really... I've been singing The Scandal of Grace for years. And I had a moment preparing this talk where I was just like, wow, let me read the words. Just receive these words. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on the cross, accused in absence of wrong, my sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. I love that line. The scandal of grace, you died in my place, so my soul will live. You know, a lot of some of the battles that we have will be out with. But in this passage, the battle, I think, is reiterating the battle that we have with ourselves. How we like to get back in control. How we like to grab that wheel again. How we like to make up to God. I'm going to make it up to you, God. I'm going to get this stuff done for you, God, because I know that we need to tally up. Duty and doing, measuring and marking. We can slip back really quickly. We also see at the very beginning of the verse, Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. It is for freedom Christ has set you free. I feel for verse 1, Paul, in a sense, is saying to the church, fight for it. Let me explain. It's almost like, if you picture, there's another team on the park as we do this freedom thing. There's another team on the park. There's an opposing side. A team looking to crush us with the slavery, the yoke of slavery and heavy duty. And they don't like what we have to say. Keep on keeping on with freedom in Christ. When the yoke of slavery pushes you down into the dirt, get up and go again in choosing choosing freedom. Maybe we hear freedom and we think, great, there's going to be peace and ease in how we do life. But there is another team on the field. Be alert. Fight pride. Fight self-sufficiency. Fight proving yourself. Fight earning. Have your team call it, call it out. Have those alongside us call it out. Who's in your team? We were watching the hacker with our boys this week on YouTube randomly. I think it's because some of the autumn tests are happening with rugby just now. Some of them are genuinely terrifying, and I was like, is this a good idea, showing my voice to hack out? <laughs> As we face our weeks, who are your people? Who's shouting, stand firm? I've seen the England side, like, all arms together as the hacker and all this crazy, inti- I'm not going to do it, I'm starting to do it. It's all these intimidating, just like, oh, gosh. They're standing firm. Stand firm in those moments of intimidation. Don't get sucked into Jesus plus. Stand firm. You are free. Receive his grace. Stand firm. There's nothing you need to do. Stand firm. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Stand firm and do the maths this morning. The answer is Jesus and only Jesus. We say yes to him and we receive all that he has for us. And I want all he has for me. I don't want to miss out. I want that for our church. I want that for every one of us. Let's not miss out. Let's stand firm. Let's ask for his spirit to move 
and to understand his freedom more as we leave this building this afternoon. This afternoon? Yeah, this afternoon, 12 o'clock. Let's stand. Amen. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Holy Spirit, you are moving. You are moving. We need you. We need you more than ever. We need you more than ever.